The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There is so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. If you've ever thought to yourself, there has got to be more than this, you are in the right place. Welcome to the More of God, a safe place to explore the more. Now, here's your host, April Harrison. So I have got on the podcast today, Bill Vanderbush. Bill is a pastor, teacher, author, podcaster, conference speaker. You're kind of like a J-Lo. You do a little bit of everything. <laughs> Except for dance. Except for dance. Okay. Well, I don't dance. Noted. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, you know, yes, I mean, it's not that I just don't. It, it's also that I can't. Well, My wife says that when I try to dance, I look like a baby deer on a frozen lake. That so. is a picture right there. Not working for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard you speak, uh, like I mentioned to you, at a conference at Life Center Church a few years back. On the way home, I listened to one of your CDs, and it was about how to not, you know, not be quick to judge the quote-unquote weird stuff in the church, the stuff that makes us uncomfortable, <laughs> and that can either be, you know, an expression of worship, it can be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Some of the manifestations or the expressions of worship I wrote down were dancing. I know you don't do that, so that one's not, that's not for you. Uh, oh, but I would. I, I, I would. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dancing, flag, blowing a shofar, uh, mm-hmm. holy laughter, falling out, uh, glory clouds or gold dust, shaking, public prophetic words or public tongues and interpretations. And mm-hmm. I am a recovering big-time judgy pants, so that made a big impact on me. When I was listening to that, I felt really convicted to not be so judgy anymore. And being at a church where we're experiencing this, it's been helpful to help me process. And and that's why I wanted you here today. So I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thank (laughs) you so much for the invite. Sure. I'd love to start just by having you kind of share a little bit about your life with God and then how you kind of came into the things of the Holy Spirit. Well, I could go. I could go on that question until next Thursday. So perfect. I was raised in a uh, in a missionary home. My parents were missionary evangelists. So. I started out as Wesleyan Methodist, actually, and, and my dad didn't believe in, in the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, didn't believe that healing was for today. He was a full-on cessationist. And then uh, we were in a meeting in St. Cloud, Florida. I was just a, just a child at the time, and dad had an encounter in a cafe called the Praise the Lord Cafe, where the owner prophesied over my dad and laid hands on him. My dad started speaking in tongues, doing the thing that he didn't think he could do. <laughs> and, um, of course, that's when you know that it's authentic, is when something happens to you that you just flat don't believe in. So there's no sense of a power of suggestion that's taken over. It's, it's like a Paul on the road to Damascus encounter with God. That's what my dad, both my dad and mom had that. And so, you know, here I am, I'm just a kid. I don't even really know what's going on. But uh, that night in the service, my dad got up to preach in the Nazarene Church in St. Cloud, and he said it, during the middle of the message, what happened is that he heard the audible voice of God. The only time in his life he ever said he heard the audible voice of God. And what, what he heard was the vo- this voice say, stop, I want to heal somebody. And dad, right in the middle of his message, he just, honestly, in the middle of a sentence, he just stopped. And my dad said out loud to where everybody in the church could hear, how, how do you want to do it? And what he heard back, and we're all sitting there watching my dad just you know, <laughs> like, like stare off in the distance. And what he says he heard is the voice say, have them grip their Bibles, you pray, and I'll heal, which is a formula that actually only ever worked that one time. Dad would use it as a, as a way of you know connecting people with God. So in a sense, you know, in individual cases, I think it built faith uh, you know, into the future. But that was the one time Dad said 100% of the people in the room got healed. And it was true. A uh, guy in a basically like a body cast, a chest, this um, this uh, metal brace actually 
in a motorcycle accident, took the brace off and started doing jumping jacks and ran around the building saying, I'm healed. Lady threw her crutches down. It was really an incredible moment. So at that point, dad knew he had encountered, you know, what he would call the authentic gospel. Yeah. And that's, you know, the idea that as Bill Johnson would articulate, you know, so, so well years later that the gospel without power is not good news. And so my dad had this uh, overwhelming joy. Uh, he was always a happy guy, but this one just went to another level. And so I, I grew up seeing, you know, tons of miracles, amazing things happening. And it was, it was really, it was an incredible way to grow up. But then when I became a pastor, which actually I never really wanted to, I still to this day, I've never gotten my uh, heavenly call into the ministry where the angels show up and start singing <laughs> and things like that. I'm, I've never had that. So I realized during the course of my life, opportunities opened up to serve. Dad said, if you'll take a couple of years and go to Bible school, you know, I'll pay for the rest of your college. So I went to Christ for the Nations in Dallas, and uh, you had a wide variety of teachers speaking into your life in there. A lot of people would, you know, talk about the Holy Spirit. Everybody had different opinions. And I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit at a young age, shortly after my parents did. And um, that was at uh, John Osteen's church, Joel's dad, in, in Houston. And so I remember having these amazing experiences with God at, at a young age because mom and dad were having them. I was right there in the middle of it with her, her and, and him. And uh, mom's still around. My dad passed away five years ago. So there was a sense of just an awareness of the presence of the Lord. Then when I got into college and now the pressure is on to be successful in ministry, I realized, you know, that success in ministry is very different. How many people do you have? How many number, you know, what's the numbers of people you've led to the Lord? You know, biggest crusades you've ever done, size of your church, that kind of thing. And especially in Texas, it was just those were big factors and a big deal. And it was really easy to settle into a complacency, I think. I mean, we, we had great things happen. Started out the church in the Strip Center in Austin, Texas. We uh, bought property, built a building uh, on the property, grew the church. It was, it was an incredible time. And then it was around October of 2004. I was really getting the sense that I needed to pursue the more of God. Mm. In other words, the church was successful, but I was, I was really, there's something in me that was like, there's something I'm missing here. And what I realized I was doing, I give it this name, is I was putting churchianity before Christianity. So authentic Christianity is putting the love of God on display mm-hmm. for the glory of God, the manifest presence of the glory of God on display through the love of God being a conduit flowing through you in a radical way that, that awakens people to an awareness of his presence. Mm-hmm. Churchianity is where God is center to everything, but he's impersonal and he's powerless. And we don't expect him to do anything. And we tell people to have a personal relationship with God, just don't get too spiritual. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because with the spirituality comes uh, the opportunity to have all kinds of crazy things like you talked about. Mm-hmm. So we were in the in the church one, one day. My dad, I got to back this up. My dad came to to visit us and he um, he said, man, Bill, you guys are so excellent in, in our church, in our worship and everything. So you guys are so excellent. You don't even need the Holy Spirit to show up and you could still do church. And I was like, wow, that's ouch, you know. And so I knew he was right. So I called for prayer meetings on Saturdays. And so I'd invite the staff to come and hang out with us on Saturdays to pray. It was, it was an optional thing. People could come if they wanted to or not. And there was uh, about nine of us there in the church on a Saturday afternoon and uh, one day. And, and we were asking, God, send the rain of your presence. That was the prayer. God, send your rain. And water started falling in the building. Inside. Yeah, <laughs> like literal water. We're getting wet. It actually shut down our whole prayer meeting because now we like grabbed a bunch of plastic, trying to cover stuff up. And I ran outside because I left my phone in my car, and so I was like, I'm going to go get, get my phone and call the contractor and tell him to come up here and take a look at this defective building, because the building was pretty new. And when I stepped outside, I didn't notice, but my son, who was like 10, 10 years old at the time, he runs outside and says, Dad, look, it's dry outside, but it's raining in the sanctuary. It's not a cloud in the sky. <laughs> and 
I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, if I pour out on this church what you've just asked me for, the same response you just had will be the same response all these people have. Mm. And what I had had was this response of this is bad, this is wrong, and this is going to ruin everything. Mm. I just didn't understand. And so the, the water in the sanctuary dried up very quickly with no help. I mean, it was it was there and then it wasn't. And every everything that had gotten wet was dry. I mean, it was as if it never even happened. And the next day I got up in church and I actually talked about it. And I really, I really wanted people not to be drawn to the attention of what I saw as a supernatural occurrence. But I wanted them to be drawn to the, the invitation behind it. Because I believe that everything in God comes with an opportunity to grow or learn or advance in our knowledge of the kingdom. And comes with an opportunity to, to really step through a doorway of invitation into the more. You know, that's why they call them signs. You know, they're signs that point to a greater something. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what, what I wanted to see happen. And, uh, you know, and true to form, it was interesting because it's like people came people came up afterwards and they had all these meteorological explanations as to why this <laughs> phenomenon occurred. And, I mean, I, I got a lot of real strong warnings and rebukes of, you know, you can't just take something like this and attribute it to this, you know, something like this happens, you think it's God, or you, something like this happens, you think it's supernatural. I'm sure it's a perfectly logical explanation. And I said, look, you know, if you got a bent toward unbelief, you can. It's almost like God will always give you an out. If you have a bent toward unbelief, you can you can go there if you want to. So there's always a need for faith on some level. But for me, the coincidence of this was way too overwhelming. So my wife and I left really to go on a quest, on a quest for more. And in the process, we ran into places like Bethel Church, ran into IHOP out in Kansas City just a number of places that were, were really pursuing the more of God. At the time, the Pensacola Revival had, you know, come and gone. Toronto, blessing had happened. I never went to Toronto uh, until about five years ago, actually. I uh, finally got up there. And, you know, so it's not like I went out and pursued this stuff before, but now all of a sudden I was, like, pursuing things. And I, I really just, I wanted to see, you know, what was I missing? And I realized I had adopted into a self-pity mindset that required God to show up and come to me rather than for me to pursue and to go after and to... Uh, to step into the more. And so that began, began a quest for me. And that quest has ebbed and flowed, but it continues to this day. And actually right now I feel like I'm in this, in this quest even more now than ever. You know, this, this thing of, I, I feel like I know the voice of God, but I want to know the voice of God more. I want to know the sound of the voice in such a way to where, you know, if, if you, if you know the sound of the voice, then there's no limit to what he can say to you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know the sound of his voice, then he can only speak to you things that can be confirmed by the by the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And and people will say, why would he violate his own word? Well, you know, Abraham was a friend of God who knew the sound of his voice. And God could tell Abraham to do things that even seemed to violate his own nature and character. Mm-hmm. But they put him on a path of experiences that actually shaped his heart, shaped his destiny, caused him to actually come into an awareness of the heart and the mind of God. And I think God brings us into that closeness mm-hmm. with his heart, with his mind, with his purposes through process and experience. And some processes, you know, the, I think he'd like to invite us into, he can't because, I mean, how many of us would, if we heard the word sacrifice your son? I mean, my goodness, I mean, I, I, I've got to admit that, that even if I 100% knew, pretty sure knew, that was like God sitting in front of me and saying, hey, sacrifice your son. I'd be like, what? Are you kidding? No, because that's not what you do. That's not who you are. I know that's not you. Yeah. But, you know, Abraham such a, had such a faith in the, in the redemption, redemption of the process that he could stand at the bottom of the mountain and say, you know, to the servants there, the lad and I will return. Hebrews says he was fully persuaded that God could raise his son from the dead. So, you know, you have this picture of a relationship with God where God is unlimited in his ability to say things, you know, to us. And I feel like that's that's the quest of my heart. 
So the pursuit of the things of God for me has resulted in a realization that he's been pursuing me more than I could ever pursue him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that just ignites a greater hunger in me. But we saw a lot of manifestations. We've seen a lot over the years. And I, I feel like I've, I don't know, I just want to think I can become offended or can't become offended anymore. Then I see something, I'm just going, wow, that's I don't what, even know what That was do. actually my next question. Like, what is, the, the, what is something that you've seen that's just been so weird that either offended your mind or just made you think, this can't possibly be God, but it was God? Like, can you think of a time to share about that? Yeah, you know, you know the usual things you talk about, you know, um, we see a lot of people, you know, you reach out, you, you lay hands on them, and they just, like, hit the floor um, in different ways, sometimes with or without catchers, you know, going to cultures and churches that have no culture for that. And and then it's almost like the power of God touches somebody, and they, they go down on a concrete floor, and there's nobody there to catch them. And, and, you know, you think they hit so hard, you think, if this isn't God, we're going to the hospital here. I mean, this could get you sued or something like that. Um, <laughs> it, you know, yet I see people get up off the floor healed, things like that. I don't know. Maybe for me, it's like I just I just want to stand in the presence of God. It's that it's that thing of going, you know, God, if you take my legs out from under me, I'll go down. That's fine. But I just want to I want to stand here and and engage with you. But you know, certain people have certain responses. The laughing thing. I I have come to really enjoy laughter a lot because <laughs> I've seen way too much depression in my day. And then people go, Well, I want it to be real and I want it to be fake. And I would say, Listen, I'll take fake joy over real depression. <laughs> yes, I don't mind that. That doesn't offend me. People say, isn't it like a disruptive in a, in a message? I, I, most of the time, if a person's really got just an over-exuberant amount of joy, I want to go to them and ask them their story. And I find that a lot of people have paid a tremendous, tremendous price for the joy that they have. You know, they've given up a lot of depression. They, they've gone through some hell on earth. And so when, when they laugh, I'm like, come on, spread that freedom around, give it away. So you know, we had a guy, we had a guy in Austin that for three years was covered in gold. Um, when, when I say gold, I mean like literally with like flecks and specks of gold all over his body. And it came from a time of just personal communion with the Lord. He couldn't wash it off. He'd try to wash it off and come right back. And he worked in the oil fields in Texas. So he was like a man's man. He wasn't, you know, he'd say things like, you know, this, this isn't something that's going to go well in my job. It's not going to go well for me if I go out in the oil fields looking like I've just come from a kid's birthday party. (laughs) And, uh, and yet at his hands, he saw a lot of healings and things begin to happen. And amazing miracles took place. That was, you know, it was a phenomenal season, and I believe it lasted for about three years. Mm. I, I don't know what to make of that. You know, we've seen manifestations of glory clouds, clouds of gold dust, feathers, you know, white feathers. When when those became kind of common, then we saw. I remember one service where we saw clouds of red and blue and yellow feathers. I mean, like oh, like a rainbow going through the air, and you knew somebody didn't like break a pillow open <laughs> or you know throw some feathers in the in the air conditioning because yeah. you couldn't find them on the floor afterwards, yeah. you know, and you don't break a pillow open in the room without it, you know, getting all over the floor, entire sections of chairs and seats covered in, in glittery gold. And then it's gone. So you know that it's not glitter, you know, mm-hmm. most of these manifestations uh, actually occurred in our church that, that we were serving as pastors at for a time called cathedral in Austin, Austin cathedral. And I remember one time David Hogan came and, and he shows me a video and he says, uh, I got this video sent, and it was this feather cloud you can find on YouTube. And it's all this, like, debris all over in the air, just swirling around. And it stops the service because there's so much of it. And people are, like, you know, uh, taking video and pictures and all this stuff. And uh, and then afterwards, you couldn't find a single feather anywhere on the floor. It was really, really weird. <laughs> and so uh, David was showing me, he was speaking in our church, and he shows me this video on his phone. He said, somebody sent me this video. And he says, I tell you, I want to start seeing some of these manifestations in our meetings. 
And I said, David, that's here. That's you're you're standing in that room that it happened. You know. So um, we've seen a lot of a lot a lot of those things. Uh, but then I, I would say that the things that we've seen the most that have really ignited my heart is how God encounters people right where they are. It's like you know where you are. It may not be where He wants you, right? But it's where He He's promised to be. And so we had a lot of people in Austin that met God. Uh, like on on a drug trip or something, and so when they would come to the church, you know, their experience and encounter with God was really trippy. And so when they would experience and feel the presence of God, they'd have that same trippy experience. So it'd be almost like physical drunkenness or intoxication, or people walking really slow because they felt like they could feel the the liquid love of the presence of the Lord. And they're like wading through a pool of honey or something. It was, I mean, and I'd look at them just going, "That's so bizarre." But then <laughs> on the other hand, I'm thinking. I like to feel what you feel. That's pretty cool, you know. And yeah. so uh, I, I'd ask people, you know, what do you feel like God's showing you through this experience and encounter? As, as long as people felt like they were really being pointed to an, an increased awareness of the love, the joy, the peace, the righteousness of heaven, I began to realize, well, however it takes to get it across to them, God is uh, using whatever language necessary mm-hmm. to advance his kingdom in their heart and in their life. They'd always do crazy things. <laughs> standing in front of the church one time and suddenly I saw this red streak just go, you know, kind of my eyes half closed, just worshiping God. And I see this red streak go by in front of me and I opened my eyes just in time to see a full grown man in a Superman costume. <laughs> and he's, he's running around the church and we had gotten this revelation of identity. And, you know, I was like, I didn't stop him. I was just like, all right, whatever. Um, it was chaotic, but yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I, I mean, it really, there was a lot of joy, mm-hmm. and what it did is, it, for some people, you know, that an environment like that might be really distracting, but I think when people have been bound up in religion for so long, mm-hmm. get into an environment where people say, well, it's a, it's a lot of soulishness or flesh or whatever word you want to use, but, you know, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, mm-hmm. and the Spirit of the Lord is there as a liberty, and, and it seems as if God is okay with radical expressions I, I don't think there's any time in the Bible where God came to somebody and said, your expression is like too exuberant, it's too radical. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, David dances some... naked. Right, yeah. I mean, he <laughs> dances out of his, his ephod, you know. His, oh, so. <laughs> and then says, goes on to like double down and say, I'm going to be even more undignified. So, yeah. you know, within reason, I mean, we just kind of like, most people just would come in and just find a piece of carpet and just lay out, mm-hmm. you know, on the ground. And that doesn't offend me at all. I, I like that. I think people need more... In, in terms of freedom when it comes to expressions in worship. And there's and there's different expressions. There's corporate freedom, there's individual freedom. And I feel like as churches, one of the things, and this may, if there's a pastor listening to this and they go, well, what am I going to get out of this podcast today other than Bill's personal testimony? <laughs> Here's a nugget for you. And that is, I think in churches, as the Holy Spirit begins to move, you have two different things going on. You have the opportunity for corporate freedom and individual freedom. And I believe when it comes to a gathering, we pull everybody together and we encourage individual expression, individual freedom. And, and it's beautiful. It's, it's like everybody's doing something different, but they're all together. But there, there comes a point in time where often a worship leader or pastor or a father in a house or whatever, an apostolic figure, might feel a sense of we need to all make a corporate expression. Or let's come together and demonstrate a corporate unity. And so to demonstrate unity, we'll ask for everybody to come into a corporate expression. When that happens, it requires that people lay down their individual freedoms for a time to come together and step into a place of corporate freedom. And the corporate expression has been so exalted, but without freedom, that both individual and corporate freedom are pretty well dead. So you don't have the spontaneous corporate freedom that happens 
and you don't have the freedom of the individual expression. And so I, I encourage pastors, give your people the freedom to have an individual expression in the beginning of a worship service, but be be aware and attuned to the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the moment so that you as the father, the leader of the house, can step up and, and take and put a voice to this thing, inviting the entire crowd to come into a, a corporate expression. And I've, I've seen this happen, oh goodness, hundreds of times, where when people are willing to lay down for just, you know, for just a moment, to come together in love and unity and joy, and lay down their individual freedom to surrender, to give a corporate expression, it's almost like the level of the manifest glory increases exponentially. Mm. And so um, that's, that's just kind of one of the ways that I, I feel like we've learned how to steward, not control it, but learned how to steward those things. Well, let me ask you another question in terms of being a pastor, kind of trying to pastor these kinds of experiences. If it gets, quote unquote, out of control, how do you pastor <laughs> that moment? Do you do it in the moment? Do you do it later? Well, true liberty sets other people free. Mm. True liberty replicates itself. So uh, liberty is not going to bring people into an agreement with something that's going to cause bondage. All freedom and all liberty and everything in, in, in God is meant to advance the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So the kingdom of God is defined as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or it's in the Holy Spirit manifesting righteousness, peace, and joy. So this is what I want to see when, when, when people are giving expression. And I don't think there's any limitation on this at all. I think, I think this is the liberty to bring these things into the world because that's what we're called to do is, is on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of heaven manifesting through us here on earth. So any expression that goes contrary to righteousness, peace, and joy, dishonoring of the Holy Spirit in any way, that's not authentic liberty. And actually that works against authentic liberty and true liberty. So if things get messy, I don't typically publicly correct stuff. Just as a rule mm-hmm. for me, because I feel like the greatest opportunities for ministry, especially in correction or like, you know, course correction mm-hmm. happen in the context of relationship. Mm-hmm. So I want to build relationship with people and something kind of seems to be getting a little getting a little wacky or, or weird or out of control or whatever. I'll, I'll pull somebody aside and I'll just say, hey, tell me your story. I want to hear a little bit about, mm-hmm. you know, your background. I, I want to know where a person Developed a relationship with God that resulted in the expression that they that they give, and so I, it actually hasn't happened much. You know, I hang out with George and Ban off a lot. His meetings attract a certain element of freedom that <laughs> many people find very uncomfortable, and many people find incredibly attractive. I've come to find it very attractive. So I don't, I haven't found too many things that I confront. Yeah, it's not too many times that where I where I feel like I've done that. But if things do get if things do get messy really want to make sure that I prioritize relationship with people yeah. because even if people are off or misguided or skewed in their perspective, there's still people made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And as a son and a daughter, I, I've, I've got to see them as a brother and a sister in Christ, whether they see themselves that way or not. I, I have to default to Paul's perspective of Christ is all and in all. So I want to treat people as if I was, you know, standing before the Lord. And so I want to treat them with that same love and honor and respect. In the context of relationship, people can receive direction a whole lot better mm-hmm. than from you know from somebody who just comes down as an authoritarian. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so building relationship is what empowers ministry. Okay. And you also touched a little bit on this, but one of the most common verses I think that gets thrown out when something unique or interesting happens is First Corinthians fourteen thirty three. God is not a god of disorder, but of peace. And 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 I think that that's a that's obviously truth. It's the word of God, right. but we misdefine that word disorder or chaos. So uh, right. can you kind of explain your thoughts on what is chaos? What is disorder in the church? 
Let me contextualize that verse by quoting the one before it, which is let all things be done decently and in order. Mm-hmm. And so I, I let people know, you know, let's let's go ahead and like pull all of this together. And it begins with let all things be done decently and in order. We skip the first part of that and we go straight to the second. So what I tell people is let's go and let's go ahead and deal with the first, and that is let all things be done. <laughs> Once we give freedom for things to be done, <laughs> then we have something wherewith we can like begin to define what is decent and orderly. You know, God is not, it's true, God is not the author of confusion, but I think he thinks of order a little bit differently than we do. I think from God's perspective, order is surrendered obedience. Mm. And um, what I mean by that is, take a look at the temple uh, that Solomon built. You have this incredible worship uh, that's that's going on, but you have this, you have all of these ordinances that were set in place, you know, like, here, this priest takes the labor and he walks from this place to this and he offers this and this person does that. So everybody kind of, they kind of have their own roles. Everybody's got their little part to play. And so they all know what they're supposed to do, and God has sort of had a hand in forming all this stuff. But then, during the dedication, the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and a cloud forms. And it's so thick that the priests can't do what they're supposed to do. So some people would say, I don't understand that. It seems like God's sort of working against himself. It's only offensive to you if you think that God is serious all the time. <laughs> I, think God's, I think God's hilarious. I think he's got an incredible sense of humor, because we're all made in his image and likeness, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I think you get God going, oh, watch this. This is going to be great. You know, okay, guys, now here's what I want you to do. And you're going you're gonna to walk to the left over here, and you're going to go over here, and then, okay, you're going to cross in the middle. And Okay, now watch this, guys. And he fills the thing with it. So you can almost see the picture of priests, incense, and vestments, and all this stuff bumping into each other in this cloud, <laughs> trying to fulfill the word of the Lord to do things decently and in order, and mm-hmm. then God makes it possible. So I feel like in some sense we see that happen on a regular basis. You know, somebody get up to speak or to minister and do it. They feel like they're, so they're assigned to do and all of a sudden the glory hits the room and boom, they're out. They can't do anything. They say, why would God do that? He's been doing that since, since the beginning of time. I mean, he's, He's been he's been messing with us that way. Well, as, yeah. as somebody that, you know, obviously you love to preach the gospel, you love to introduce people to Jesus. Why do you think that Paul placed such an emphasis, not just on preaching the word, but on power? He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, my message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 1 right. Corinthians four twenty, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And in Romans More. 15, he talks about how preaching the full gospel, it includes signs, it includes wonders. It's not just standing there and saying, Jesus died, you know, for your sins. And it, it includes all of this. So why do you think he placed such an emphasis on that? Because that's how I met God. You know, he met Jesus in a power encounter. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't come to Christ by philosophy or intellect. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he literally got knocked to the ground, struck blind, <laughs> then got his eyesight back. Mm-hmm. You, you have this, this introduction to God in Christ by the power of the Spirit. And so he's enamored with this thing of power. Mm-hmm. You know, and Paul actually tried it the other way. In Acts chapter 17, he sets up 1 Corinthians 2 because he's in Athens and he's preaching, and he basically preaches a really offensive three-point message You know, that, that says, you got this tomb to an unknown God, you're groping around like you're looking in the dark for him. Well, he's really close to all of us. Oh, no, he's in you. In him we live and move and have our being. We're all his children. Then he goes on to talk about, you know, God furnished proof of the reality of this by raising Jesus from the dead. And when he starts talking about the resurrection of the dead, nobody believes him. Now he loses the whole audience because as long as he was just speaking in philosophy, it was fine. But the minute he talked about the power of God, he lost the entire audience. So when he comes to, to Corinth, 
says right after that in Acts 18.1, it says uh, immediately he leaves there and goes to Corinth. How does he go to Corinth? He goes disappointed. I mean, he goes really probably upset because he's preaching, you know, the, the message of Jesus, but then it doesn't have the desired effect. Very few converts. So when he comes to Corinth, he says, hey, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or excellence, whatever. Excellence of man's wisdom. I came to you in demonstration of the spirit and the power. I'm, I'm trembling. I'm in weakness and fear and much trembling. And it's not because as people say, well, Paul was a bad speaker. Paul was persuasive enough as a Pharisee to get uh, religious and, and political backing to exterminate an entire subset of culture known as Christians. Mm -hmm. So he's not a bad speaker. You wouldn't have gotten invited to Mars Hill if you were a bad speaker. But he realizes it's not enough just to talk. Mm -hmm. if, if, I don't, if I don't show up and put the power of God on display, then this thing is, is just another vain philosophy. Mm -hmm. As good of an idea as it may be, it's not enough. Paul didn't uh, come to this conclusion of prioritizing the power of God without trying it the other way. And mm -hmm. I think any minister who ever tries to minister apart from power, apart from the anointing of God upon their words and upon their life, will get very bored very quick. <laughs> and unless they're paid a tremendous amount of money to stay powerless. Yeah. But one of the questions I love to ask everybody that I interview is, what descriptive words would you give for the Holy Spirit? You already mentioned he's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> what else would you say about him? Like what Graham Cook says, the Holy Spirit's the kindest person I've ever known. Mm, I love that. It reveals, reveals my sonship. Uh, I'll give you an offensive one since everything else you, you probably heard. Let me say, how can I say this in a way that's not going to make 90% of the listeners turn this off? I'll just cut this out and put this one quote on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> the Godhead is a family. You know, God, Father, Spirit, and Son is an other-centered, self-giving relationship of love. And it's mirrored within the human family. God made man in his image and likeness, male and female. He created he, him. So you have Adam, a complete being, split into two parts. Woman does not have any less of the image and likeness of God on her than man does. We only refer to God in a gender to somehow make it relatable to the world as we know it, as we've come to know it. But in spirit, it, spirit transcends gender. Paul affirms this. For people to get uncomfortable with what I'm saying here, Paul affirms this, you know, uh, in Galatians and in Colossians, you know, where he says, uh, there is no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Greek, all are one in Christ. In other words, in Christ becomes the identity that transcends gender, nationality, and social status. So when we refer to God as Father, I, I think, of course, He, because he mirrors earthly fathers, all of the attributes and natures and characteristics of that that role as an earthly father. And, you know, I know this personally from having two kids. Um, I, In order for me to know how to be a father, I've got to get a really, really clear picture of Father God. And here's where it gets muddy for a lot of people. Not for me personally, but but I understand the language is, is offensive. When I think of, of Holy Spirit, I see the Holy Spirit mirrored in earthly moms. Um, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And, you know, when a kid falls down and scrapes their knee, they run right past dad and go straight to mom. Instinctively, they know that mom just carries the ability to release comfort. Mm -hmm. um, the Holy Spirit is known as the guide. Men never ask for directions. Women do. <laughs> um, the Holy Spirit is t our teacher. 
in, in earthly relationships, if a family is a homeschooling family, 99% of the teaching will probably be done by mom because instinctively she feels the empowerment to do that very thing. The Holy Spirit reveals the Father, you know, explains in a sense what the Father is doing. The Holy Spirit draws us to the Father, draws our attention to, and reveals the nature of the character in the heart of the Father. What do earthly moms do? If dad's doing something the kids don't understand, mom stands as the go-between and gives understanding to the children of the nature of the character. What the This is why dad's doing what he's doing. So you see, so much about earthly moms is reflected in the person of the Holy Spirit. So I don't, I don't call the Holy Spirit she or her or whatever. But when I think of God, Father, Son, that's easy to figure out. Mm-hmm. But Spirit, Mom, and within the nuclear family and the human family, you see that that entire concept of everything that we have as a human family is a type and a shadow of a greater reality from heaven's perspective. And life-producing, centered in love, united in name, distinct in characteristic, but completely other-centered and self-giving, a full-on relationship of love. So when I think of Holy Spirit, a lot of times, and wow, the image of my mom comes to mind. And I tell you what, it sounds kind of strange, you know, but that's how I came to know the Holy Spirit. Because when I, when I felt the presence, carried the same fragrance as my mom always has, in a sense, in, in the spirit. Mom walks in the room and immediately I felt comforted as a child. As an adult, when I feel an awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that same comfort, that same effect. My mom just got back from Mozambique, um, went over there with uh, Randy Clark and, and uh, on a trip with Randy Clark and then um, spent some time with Heidi Baker while she was over there and just holding children. That's what she wanted to do. She just wanted to, like, give love away. Mm-hmm. And, my goodness, if that's not a picture of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. <laughs> you know? So I, I hope that's not offensive, you know, to people's mindset. But maybe help them to understand, you know, I don't personify the Holy Spirit in, in the sense of so much he. Right. Uh, and I certainly don't personify the Holy Spirit as it. Right. <laughs> I will say he. When I speak to the, of the Holy Spirit, I'll say he because I understand culturally that's how we as a church have come to know the Holy Spirit. If we know him as a person at all, we know him as he. But validates women as made in, in the image and likeness of God just as much as any man out there. Okay, cool. Would you like to share your website and your podcast with the listeners so they can get more yeah. information from you? Absolutely. It's just BillVanderbush.com. Yeah, and you can go on iTunes, YouTube, just type Bill Vanderbush in and all kinds of stuff will come up. Yeah, lots of good stuff I've seen on there. So any last thoughts? And if not, if you would just close for the listeners in prayer. Well, I'm just I'm really honored to be with you today. And and, uh, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share the questions. And, Honor's and, mine. Um, oh, wow. And uh, well, I just I just pray that, God, you would just release over every listener or watcher in this podcast today a freshness of the revelation of your spirit. God, uh, th- that we would all experience more uh, of an awareness of the sound of your voice. God, that you'd speak uh, to each one of us. God, I know your desire to speak to us is even greater than our desire to, to hear. And so, Lord, expand our hunger for you, like David in Psalm 63, that we thirst for you and our flesh longs for you, God. Cause us to develop and, and, and cultivate a hunger for your presence, Lord. And God, uh, I just I recognize those people maybe listening to this podcast today that that, uh, that are on the fence in a relationship with you. So, Lord, I just pray today that they would count the cost and, and, and recognize just the completeness and the totality of the surrender to the finished work of what you've done, God, that the reality of the identity that you want to awaken us to. And, Lord, it's, it's just 
it's it's a yes to be said so completely and so totally. Uh, and so, Lord, I, I just by faith, on behalf of everybody listening to this today, just say yes to you. Mm. God, I just say yes to more of you. Collectively as a church, as a body of Christ, we just say yes to more of you, mm. God. We want to hear your voice. We want to know your spirit. We want to know your presence and commune with you. Thank you for calling us your your friend, your sons and daughters, your your bride, your body. Thank you for bringing us into an awareness of our union with you. And God, may that increase. Thank you, Jesus, for, for your grace to us. And I speak and release grace to every person listening today. I've been talking today, really, I felt like there are people that were listening to this that feel like I, I would like to know God in this way, but I, I don't feel worthy of it. And I feel like God has given you the gift of his righteousness by grace purely. And that righteousness is not just coming to you in, 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 a, in a percentage or, or, or in part. He's giving you that Holy Spirit, the righteousness of that holiness without measure. So I just declare the righteousness and the grace over you that breaks off all guilt and shame so that you have the ability to see that you are worthy of the fullness of the presence of God upon your life. So Lord, I thank you for that gift. I thank you for that, that, that awareness that's coming to people's hearts right now. God, that all guilt and shame and unworthiness would be broken off of them in Jesus' name. And that joy would come. God, that joy would just continue to come and build and, and flow through us and to us in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for listening to this week's The More of God podcast. For additional stories on how people are encountering the more of God, you can go to the blog at themoreofgod.org or you can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play.